Hello, I'm Dr. Louise Newson. I'm a GP and menopause specialist, and I'm also the founder of the Newson Health Menopause and Wellbeing Centre here in Stratford-upon-Avon. I'm also the founder of the Free Balance app. Each week on my podcast, join me and my special guests where we discuss all things perimenopause and menopause. We talk about the latest research, bust myths on menopause symptoms and treatments, and often share moving and always inspirational personal stories. This podcast is brought to you by the Newson Health Group, which has clinics across the UK dedicated to providing individualised perimenopause and menopause care for all women. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about a hormone that we haven't spoken about much before, actually, although it is a really important hormone. We're going to talk about progesterone, but also talk about other hormones and the importance of not just hormones when we're perimenopausal or menopausal, but in younger people as well. So women who've had PMS, PMDD. And I've got with me one of the doctors who works with me, Hannah Ward, who I've known for a few years now and is one of the key doctors who works with me in Newson Health. So thanks, Hannah, for coming to Today to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So I love connections, some of you might know, and the more I find out about people, the more I realise there are connections. And Hannah, you'd been working for us for a few months, really, and then you said, you know my husband, don't you? That's right. And your surname Ward is quite a common surname, so I hadn't had the connection. But after I came back from New Zealand, I did a cancer job down in Southampton. It was quite a hard job. And one of the doctors who I got on very well with, who made the job far more enjoyable than it would have been otherwise, was a doctor called Dr. Mike Ward. And he actually is your husband, isn't he? That's right. I'd lost connection with him and uh, you'd been working for a while and then joined the dots. And really lovely because he's now a geriatrician. So he didn't pursue a career in oncology and I didn't pursue a career in oncology, but we both help people in different ways. So you've had a, we've all had our own journey, haven't we? And someone was saying to me the other day, one of the ways that people work harder and enjoy their jobs more, whether it's in medicine or any aspect, is if they've had an experience. And if you've had an experience, it makes you see the world differently. It makes you think differently. And I think if we had met each other when I met your husband many years ago, I wouldn't have been able to have this conversation with you today and I don't think you would either, would you? Because it was all pre-children, we were in our mid-twenties. Having fun. Having fun, yes. And then things happen, don't they? And certainly many of you all know when I was perimenopausal, it wasn't much fun and I really struggled to work out what was going on. But your story was actually far worse and you were far younger when your hormones started to play havoc, weren't they? That's absolutely right, Louise. And I think a lot of people in healthcare do develop a particular interest after they've had their own personal experience. They may have suffered an illness or condition where the recognised treatment just hasn't worked for them. And then so they've gone on to do their own homework and their own research and reading to find an alternative. And and really, that's what happened to me. And Mm. for most people, that might be a lifestyle change and or nutritional option. But for me, it was hormones hormones. So what happened to me is, uh, obviously, I'm a GP, and I've been a GP for 20 years. But when I was uh, doing my training 20 years ago, I was pregnant with my my first daughter, and I was 30. And I remember feeling really very well during pregnancy, and I was really calm, and everything was fantastic, even though I was sitting membership exams, there was lots going on. But I didn't really appreciate how well I felt at the time. And it was something I became aware of in hindsight. 
So I had my daughter and we had a delightful first three months while I was breastfeeding. And I I really wondered what all the fuss was about because all my friends were struggling with sleep and fatigue and breastfeeding issues. And that wasn't really my experience at all. However, it all began to change in the fourth month and I became intensely anxious and irritable. I couldn't sleep at all. I had lots of physical symptoms like headaches and muscle aches and dizziness. And I was really tearful a lot of the time and it became really all consuming And I think my daughter must have picked up on these changes in me because she became fractious and irritable too and she couldn't sleep. But I didn't really realise these were symptoms of postnatal depression because I just thought that was something that you had in the first six weeks after Mm. having a baby and no one had really taught me about it. Even though I hasten to add, I did spend some time on a mother and baby unit as part of my psychiatry training. It was mostly women with postnatal psychosis though. So I just put everything down to work and going back to work. But I did realise how well I felt when I was pregnant. And so I was keen to conceive again. So within 12 months of what was in hindsight postnatal depression, I was pregnant again and feeling really well. The same pattern seemed to emerge. Three months of bliss. And then in the fourth month, all of those awful symptoms seemed to come back. And at that point, I did realise that this was probably my hormones, but I didn't really know what to do about it. So I struggled on for the next two years. I was one of three children and I was keen to have another. And I think actually my husband wanted as many as possible because he had connected how well I was during and soon after pregnancy. So in between number two and three, I blamed my mood on my job and I, I moved practice. But the day I left, the senior partner said that I had never been happy since I'd returned from maternity leave. And he was absolutely right, but I hadn't really realised what was going on. So then I became pregnant for the third time and felt great. And that wellness feeling was just so much more pronounced because I'd felt so unwell between each of the children. And during that pregnancy, I decided to enrol on a part-time master's degree course in rheumatology at the local university. And this does come into the story later on, okay? partly as I'd felt so worthless and hopeless for the last few years, and I'd lost all my self-esteem and professional confidence. And the course was due to commence about four months after my third Mm. daughter was born. So I thought, hmm, I'm denied, should I pay the fees as I worried what might happen if I should go downhill again? But at the time the bill came in, everything was going really well. And I convinced myself that, you know, this wasn't going to be a problem. I was exercising well, I was eating well, we had a nanny. So I really thought, you know, this time it's all going to be okay, and I paid up. But the time the course started, three weeks later, everything had deteriorated dramatically, and this time it was much, much worse. So I felt I couldn't cope. I had three children under the age of five. I was going back to work. I was doing a master's degree. So I went along to my GP and in typical fashion reeled off all the physical symptoms rather than the psychological ones, the aches and pains, the headaches, the dizziness, the fatigue. And I was convinced I had Addison's or hypothyroidism or muscle disorder. But of course, all the blood tests came back normal. So she asked me if I wanted to take some chemicals, by which she meant an antidepressant, We didn't mention the words postnatal depression, but we both knew that that's what this was. And initially, I did decline the antidepressant, but went back a week later after we'd been off to Cornwall on holiday. and I just couldn't function. And I was so anxious, I had to sort of hide under a towel in the the journey down there in the car. And there was no way I would have been able to drive. So I went back and I started on what was the standard treatment for postnatal depression at the time. It was an SSRI antidepressant sertraline. Mm. And as a GP, I knew it might take a couple of weeks to work. 
but I didn't expect to feel 10 times worse. My agitation and irritability were now off to scale and my sleep was non-existent. I did what I always did in times of trouble and that was escape and seek refuge to stay with my parents. But this involved driving around the M25 and I was so panicked I had to be collected by my father from the hard shoulder. So I managed three weeks on the sertraline and didn't see any improvement. In fact, I was worse than when I had begun. So I stopped it and started on my journey to find what else might work instead. I read the leaflet by the Association of Postnatal Illness about postnatal depression and how you should avoid the pill due to the synthetic progestogen component. And number one on the reading list of their leaflet was Depression After Childbirth by Catherine Dalton. And this led me on to her work and of the use of high-dose progesterone pressories for the treatment of postnatal depression and premenstrual syndrome. And I will admit I was a little bit naughty. You're not supposed as a doctor to treat yourself or your family, but I was so desperate I wrote myself a prescription for cyclogest. And I remember it well, it was Mother's Day, so it was a Sunday. So I had to wait till the next day till the pharmacy was open. And that's when I made what was to be my miraculous discovery. I felt I had nothing to lose, so I started the progesterone pessaries on the Monday night and the next day I woke up having slept well and I felt completely back to normal and I just couldn't believe it. I was absolutely stunned. Well, that's amazing, isn't it? It was. It was overnight, literally. And so I did go and see my GP, who was amazing, and we both sort of looked a little bit sheepish as we looked in the BNF and uh, neither of us had any appreciation previously that this was a treatment for PND because mm. it had gone out of fashion. And she agreed to carry on with the pessaries twice a day. And that, from that point, I became absolutely fascinated by progesterone. And that's, you know, the body identical progesterone, mm. which is often confused with the synthetic progestogens. So the hormone of pregnancy, but also the hormone that's produced after ovulation. And in fact, I went on to do my master's dissertation about progesterone and bone health. Very interesting because, yeah. I mean, I remember years ago actually listening to Nick Panay, who's now the president of the International Menopause Society, talking about Utrogestan. And I'd never heard of Utrogestan before. And I Googled it while he was lecturing and it's micronized progesterone, mm. which is obviously natural progesterone. And in Cyclogest and Lutogest pessaries, it's just progesterone, isn't it? The very natural form. That's right. Whereas I, for many years, decades, have prescribed the progesterone only pill it's called but it's not got progesterone in it it's got synthetic progesterone i prescribed and actually taken myself the combined oral contraceptive pill which has a synthetic progesterone in and they're all different aren't they these synthetic progesterones so some have more side effects in some people than others but they're chemically altered so they don't fit the receptor really well do they and it's really interesting because when you started to talk about Catherine Dalton, it was a similar time that one of my, someone I went to school with actually contacted me and just emailed through the clinic to say, oh, Louise, you might not remember me. We went to school together and I'd just like to say how inspirational your work is. I'm following you. And do you remember Dr. Dalton coming to talk to us at the school when we were about 12, 13 and you sat there absolutely all inspired and said, this is why I want to be a doctor. Look at the people she's helping. And I hadn't remembered her name. So I went off and Googled. And literally the week after, you said, have you read Katrina Dalton's books? And I said, no, but that name. And so another connection, which, again, I really enjoyed. But actually, if any of you look at her Wikipedia or read, she actually died quite frustrated, I think, because, well, you can say the story about her, Hannah. Like you, Louise, she 
was trying to raise awareness about hormones and depression in in not just women, but also families, because Mm -hmm. everyone's affected by these conditions. And she did absolutely masses of work. If you've read her papers and her books, Mm -hmm. she did lots of research. But equally, she didn't want to put women through a placebo-controlled randomised trial because it meant 50% of them would not get the adequate treatment. And also in those days, you know, evidence-based medicine wasn't so much of a big deal. So she did lots of observational studies. As you know, she went into prisons and looked at the timing in the cycle when women were more likely to be convicted of crimes, more likely to make suicide attempts. She went into girls' boarding schools and looked at school performance and Mm. behaviour issues. So she's done absolutely lots of work. And then sadly, you know, all of that work seems to have evaporated into thin air. And my view is that possibly it's because SSRIs were developed in the 1990s. And we know that, um, you know, these drugs can be very effective for some of these conditions, but they don't work for everybody, do they? No, and I think the problem is also sometimes in medicine, and often I've done it, when we're really busy, you learn from your peers, you learn from other people, you just, and you forget the basics. And I think having worked part-time for many years, I've had the luxury of being able to think and reflect, which you don't always get, do you? Especially in full-time general practice, you're just going through. And so sometimes, especially if medicine doesn't work, it's a really good time, rather than layering up something else, thinking what's going on, what's the underlying cause? And you know, her books and her work is so obvious, but it's almost too obvious. So even looking at some of her articles that were actually published in the BMJ, weren't they, saying that people more likely to go to prison in the time before their period, more likely to commit a crime then, more likely to commit suicide. And obviously what happens before our periods with our hormones, Hannah? Well, they all fall away. So progesterone Mm. falls away for that week before your period, estrogen drops away. And so this is really what should be given back to top up those hormones but unfortunately the current guidelines for the treatment of those conditions have been you know extensively evaluated to but they don't include progesterone and I I really can't understand that and I think one of the reasons is that people who take the synthetic progesterones can be very sensitive they can Mm. give similar side effects and so they're always told that they're progesterone sensitive when actually they're progesterone sensitive and maybe they actually would do better with more body identical progesterone yes and one of the things you were talking about using it as a suppository so that's either vaginally or rectally it then just gets absorbed as the pure progesterone doesn't it Mm. whereas even progesterone that we take orally still has to be digested and metabolized and get broken down into other substances too doesn't it yeah and so you get a very very small dose when you take it orally whereas when you take it vaginally or rectally you might get 10 times as much and a lot of Catherine Dalton's work focused on the fact that you need much much higher doses Mm. of progesterone because it's measured in nanograms rather than picograms and so to get that level up you might need a thousand milligrams a day and quite often in in menopause we give 100 milligrams a day so it's you know the dose is important but also she talked about uh, the receptors are really important Mm. that your receptors are working well and these progesterone receptors of which there are loads in the brain and the limbic system can be kind of blocked if you're stressed if you've got adrenaline in your system if you're not eating regularly because if you don't eat regularly your blood sugar drops and then you'll get a spurt of adrenaline so there are lots of other factors as Mm. well as just progesterone and I think it's so complicated that maybe people miss the opportunity to look at it like that and I've no doubt other things help as well. 
Yeah, for sure. And it is complicated. But when you break it down, it's actually, it's all very simplistic. It's almost going back to the basics. And I always, or well, don't always, but I often think about in the 70s. And I suppose I think about that time because my father was alive. We were more of a happy family unit. But things were simpler then. Our food was simpler. Mm. Our food choices, our, we had less. We didn't have mobile phones. We didn't have all that technology. We had less stress as well. So things were easier. And a lot of people are saying, well, why are you talking about the menopause now? It's been around for ages and no one's talked about it. Well, of course, they were, people were misdiagnosed. You know, look at the, in the Victorian times, women locked up in asylums. Oh, well, even now they're still sectioned. But there was less mental health issues maybe because we exercised probably more. We had more fresh air. We ate differently. And maybe we had less hormonal effects because we weren't having these big sugar spikes and everything. But she writes so clearly about the role of diet, which again is very forward thinking because, you know, I'm sure it's the same for you at medical school. I was really not taught much about diet. And reading her book about diet and the effect with stress hormones, like you say, that's really avant-garde, really way ahead of her time. And What I also thought was very interesting is when she started to prescribe progesterone to some patients, she got hauled in front of the GMC, didn't she, She to say, what are you doing? Why are you prescribing such high doses and inappropriate compared to other doctors in the in the practice and it's sort of a bit of pattern recognition really because some of you might be aware there's there is still some pushback about dosing of HRT for what we do often and we do try and bespoke the doses and some people need higher doses than others and there's still this pushback and it was interesting that you know, 40, well, 50 years ago, she was getting pushback, wasn't she? She was. <laughs> she had to go to a tribunal to justify the doses that she was prescribing. But um, she had lots of evidence. She collected data avidly to provide mm. the evidence that she needed to justify that position. Yes. And that must be very scary. I think what happens now, I feel very scared with what's happening to me and people trying to silence me. But, you know, there's a lot more female doctors now in her day there were very few female doctors and it's easier for us to collect the evidence because we do it all online so we can look at audit data and we can constantly analyze what we're doing which of course we do in the clinic whereas when it's all paper records and she was quite on her own you know I'm very supported you know obviously you work with me but we've got lots of clinicians that work together and we all see the effect Mm -hmm. and you know there is something different about prescribing body identical hormones to prescribing chemicals like you say but there is still a pushback and in fact just over a week ago the British Medical Association did a webinar about hormones and um, I was listening to it and twice they referred to HRT as poison and I was just really what is people so worried about? Why are we so scared about hormones? And, you know, you've already said the role of progesterone in our brains and our limbic system so important and a lot of time in medicine especially with psychiatric disorders there's no biochemical test we can do to test for depression or psychosis or schizophrenia or manic depression or PMS or PMDD hormone blood tests are not useful either are they so often in medicine we do what's called a therapeutic trial (laughs) is a test of a medicine to see whether it helps or not and so you had a therapeutic trial of your SSRI and clearly it didn't work and you say made it worse so then you tried something that actually was treating the underlying cause by giving yourself a higher dose of hormones but isn't it 
a shame and I don't quite know understand why and I don't know if you do why there's so much stigma about hormones as opposed to other medication I really don't know either Louise because actually all the reading that I've done since I became fascinated with progesterone and estrogen shows how safe it is how Mm. good it is for our bones our cardiovascular system and that you know it's I think again the confusion between the synthetic hormone like Mm. drugs that are found in the pill and the mini pill that may be where the confusion lies but I admit before I went through this experience I remember you know dealing with menopause or women in my training year and being a little bit scared of HRT to be honest Mm. there was this big list of about 20 options and I I really didn't know (laughs) what to choose but now absolutely you would choose the body identical and if it was estrogen transdermal and if it was progesterone the body identical progesterone again and testosterone too. Yes. And what's really interesting, the more patients that I see and we see in the clinic, the more we learn that everyone is different. So there are still some women who don't tolerate progesterone very well. And whether it's because, like you say, the dose is too low and it needs changing or it needs changing from oral to rectal or vaginal, it definitely has a difference. There's some people who don't tolerate estrogen very well. And sometimes people even who've had a hysterectomy and don't need the progesterone to protect the lining of their womb there are some women that find and I've got some patients who really miss not being on progesterone they've been on it before they've had their womb removed with hysterectomy and then being told well you don't need progesterone because you haven't got the lining of the womb to protect quite right and then they've found that they can't sleep they feel more anxious Mm. and then we've gone through everything else there's no other obvious triggers so I said well would you like to try the progesterone back oh yes please if that's okay of course it's just a hormone and then within days often they feel better again and it is all about balancing on for the individual Mm. what suits one woman doesn't always suit another and, and finding the right combination of hormones is key isn't it yeah absolutely and you know often it can take a little while to have an effect as well I know with you there was obviously a quick effect but some patients it can take I always say try three months before you change unless obviously you're feeling really awful then you wouldn't want people to carry on feeling awful but sometimes it can take a little while can't it for the body to adapt and I think especially with PMS and PMDD like you say a lot of people have more stress and I'm sure the stress is related to the way that they feel it's a cycle cycle. and then most people or a lot of people who've when they're low in estrogen and progesterone have sugar cravings as well so they often don't eat very well and we've all done it I'm sure I'm not the only person that's comfort eight when you feel rubbish you think oh I really don't care I'm going to eat some rubbish and the only thing that stops me doing now is it would trigger migraines but most people still have those times and like you say that's going to affect our progesterone receptors probably other receptors as well so it's looking in a really holistic way but sometimes in the guidelines and pms it talks a lot about diet but to do just diet on your own without thinking about hormones is only really half treating someone often isn't it and it's very hard as you say when you don't feel well to make those dietary changes Mm. and I will say that although I had a miraculous recovery with progesterone as you know Louise four or five months later when I stopped breastfeeding my periods came back it all came back with a vengeance and Mm. certainly turned into a cyclical problem and I did go on to estrogen as well so I think if your brain is very sensitive to hormone changes it's probably going to be sensitive to all of them Mm. and again getting the balance right is so important and and Dr Dalton did show that some women you know only by sticking to her three hourly starch diet which is really small regular snacks so you 
divide up your daily diet into small meals every three hours so the blood sugar doesn't drop, that can actually be all that's required to improve symptoms of premenstrual syndrome and postnatal depression. So it's amazing that with diet alone, even before starting progesterone, that might be enough to help some women. It's incredible, isn't it? And I do think and I worry a lot about postnatal depression because we know it's one of the commonest causes of mortality in young women is suicide from postnatal depression. And trying to engage people to think about hormones is really important because it's safe. It might have an effect. The doses might have to be higher. But we desperately need research in this area, don't we? Because otherwise we're never going to move forward. We're always going to be hypothesizing or worrying about hormones. But actually, you know, I worry about the women who are suffering. And, you know, we've started to see women, haven't we, with PMS and PMDD in the clinic. And it can be very transformational. And, you know, helping perimenopause and menopausal women we know is transformational. But helping younger women is even more rewarding isn't it because they've got so much it is because we're picking them up on the journey they've got longer to live like this and um, we know that they're all going to struggle when they get to perimenopause so if you can pick them up early and give them Mm. help and advice it's definitely really useful yeah so some of the things really for those listening to pick up thinking could I have or could my someone I know or often it's family member I picked up PMS at one of my children because we were in lockdown and I realized beginning of every month she became very flat and monosyllabic and wasn't really engaging in the family in the way that she normally does and I said oh there's a bit of a pattern here but so looking at a pattern is really important isn't it a lot of people are relieved when their period comes or they feel worse just before their period or if women have been pregnant often when people say to me I felt amazing when I was pregnant you sort of think, I bet their brain is more responsive to hormones, don't you find? And and Dr. Dalton did some work showing that the postnatal blues of which 80% of women experience, often they did research looking at progesterone levels through saliva, that women whose progesterone levels were highest at the end of pregnancy often suffered most with uh, the postnatal blues. So there is plenty of evidence. Mm. It is quite old, but it's there. It's a shame that we can't sort of bring all this back and um, and get the psychiatrists involved with knowing about hormones and mood changes at different times of women's reproductive lives. Well, I think we will. We're quite determined. We, uh, Some of you might know we recently did an educational day in Stratford-upon-Avon and in fact you spoke about your story in more detail and we had a psychiatrist from Oxford talking, didn't we, Sophie, who was amazing actually, talking at the holistic approach and then we had Rebecca Lewis also talking about the role of hormones in mental health and so trying to align people together is really important because once you see it and experience and listen to women and allow women to have the choice of trying their hormones and some people need hormones as well as psychiatric medication. That's absolutely fine. And there is some evidence that psychiatric medication, especially SSRIs, work better when people have hormones on board as well, don't they? They do, but I, I'm not going to try, Louise. <laughs> no, no. And that's where it's so important though, isn't it? To be mm. in control to allow patients to have a choice. And I know you wrote actually your story to try and get it published because in the British Medical Journal, you can have your own story really, can't your personal journey? Because like we said, right at the start, you often learn from your own experience and you want to share it with others actually, because that's often, you know, every day I learn through my patients. Absolutely. I'm Obviously I learn academically from reading papers, 
but you putting it into practice with patients and you you wrote up your story as a case and it wasn't accepted was it as publication no it wasn't no but it's on balance instead now so yes yes so it is on the balance website and but it was just a reflection that doctors are not that interested in hormones sadly no but we've got to change it because hormones are so important and for women but also for men so for everybody hormones are really important so I hope talking today has just made people think a little bit more about progesterone and I thank you publicly Hannah for enlightening me more about progesterone because I know you've gone on quite a lot about it to the extent that I haven't been able to ignore you (laughs) and actually the more more I read and you did say that I would be addicted to Dr Dawson's work and I am actually not just her books but some of the papers And having been at an all-girls boarding school where our periods seem to go in sync after a few weeks of being back after summer holidays and seeing mood changes throughout the school at certain times, you know, she was right. She wasn't making this up because she was learning all the time. So we need to um, reactivate some of this and get it back onto the agenda so more people think in a bigger way. So before we finish, Hannah, you know I'm going to ask for three take-home tips. So what three things do you think are the most important when considering PMS and PMDD? Well, I I was first going to say that progesterone is not just for endometrial protection, which we mentioned. It has other really important roles in the body. It has been shown in studies to be helpful in traumatic brain injury and recovery from stroke. It is part of the bone remodeling cycle. So it helps bone osteoblasts build new bone. And it's also very safe on the breast tissue. So, you know, progesterone has effects all over the body like estrogen, testosterone. And I think in terms of postnatal depression, if you've had postnatal depression or you think you might have, because actually I had it twice without realising it. And many women don't realise that they're feeling unwell, that this is what it is, because it's an atypical type of depression. Then I think it is important to realise that you may well experience similar symptoms in the perimenopause and that you should seek out help and advice and consider HRT relatively early on, really. And I think if you currently have postnatal depression or, or PMS and it's not responding to the treatments that you've been advised to use, which would probably be an antidepressant, then perhaps it is worth seeking out a healthcare provider who might consider discussing the use of body identical hormones, either progesterone alone or estrogen and progesterone to treat you currently. And can I be cheeky and add a fourth one, Louise? Yeah, go on then. It's really an extension of the third and something that you've mentioned before and we've talked about before, but in you know, we talk about HRT, hormone replacement therapy. In some countries, it's MHT, menopausal hormone therapy. But actually, really, there are many conditions in younger women that respond to hormones, and it should just be hormone therapy. And I think they get a raw deal because they're not menopausal. And so they're told that they can't have hormone replacement therapy. Yeah, I think just hormone treatment. Yeah, because therapy sounds even more, doesn't it? Because You know, it's such a shame because it is just hormones. And certainly, like we've said before, there's no harm trying. Absolutely not. But once you've got the knowledge and there are the books that are harder actually now because I think so many of us are bought through Amazon by by Katrina Dalton. But there is information on the website. And actually, even in my book, Hannah's written and we've written about PMS and PMDD. So I hope that's been helpful. And thanks again for your time today, Hannah. It's much appreciated. Thank you for inviting me, Louise. 
You can find out more about Newson Health Group by visiting www.newsonhealth.co.uk and you can download the free Balance app on the App Store or Google Play.